Okay, so I guess I'm back again, or I've been told I need to be back again, <clears throat> because if I'm not doing something exciting, I get to be a big pain in the ass to everyone who knows me. So let's go back to where I used to be. Let's go back to Atlantic City. Let's go back to growing up in the 50s, which which was a great time to grow up if you were white. I mean, if you were black, I think it was probably a way different experience. But But in my life, we were almost white. We were Italian. That that came very close to being white. You know, my grandparents' generation, the immigrants, they didn't get to count. They they got to come to a country where when they when they tried to settle down in Philadelphia in the Germantown section, the church that that took care of all the German Catholics who were there uh, didn't want Italians to come, and so Italians built their own church, which surprisingly was also called St. Michael's in the nice town section of Philadelphia. So I lived next to the church called St. Michael's in Atlantic City, and St. Michael's was the name of the church that the Italians built so they'd have some place to go. Now, my mother's generation, the first generation past immigrants, they were much closer to being considered white. And by the time you got to my generation, well, I can still remember my mother trying to get us all ready to go out and making sure we were scrubbed so clean our faces were almost scrubbed off. Because in her words, I don't want anyone, anyone at all mistaking you for greasy Italians. That's what she said. That was the attitude that she grew up with. And that was what she was going to make sure her children never were. So aside from, from the fact that she scrubbed our skin off every time we had to go out into public, there were some other things we did in the 50s that I'm not sure, well, I'm not sure parents do it anymore, at least these kinds of lessons. I know nowadays the big deal is to get your kids into sports, soccer, basketball, <clears throat> whatever it is that women do. But I know also that back in the 50s, my mother sent me, as did my friend Grace's mother, because remember, if we didn't do it together, we did not do it at all. We headed off to Mrs. Kramer's piano lessons. Now, Mrs. Kramer and her aunt lived in basically an efficiency apartment. It was one big room that a couch pulled out into a bed, a tiny, old, tired bathroom and kitchen, and I mean tiny. The kitchen had just a little curtain that pulled across it, and the aunt would sit in there at a chair while Mrs. Kramer would give lessons in the living room. They were refugees from Nazi Germany, and so I guess we didn't ask many questions because honestly at that point we didn't know what that could have meant for two Jewish women. But now I find myself wondering just what it was that they knew about the war that I will never know. I do know that a lot, a lot of parents from St. Michael sent their kids to Mrs. Kramer to get piano lessons. In fact, they sent so many kids to Mrs. Kramer to get piano lessons that she ended up holding concerts in Dante Hall, which was the hall attached to our church. I did many a concert there. Oh, as long as you consider, consider two fingers kind of trying to find their way across the piano very slowly and painfully a concert, because that was pretty much what I did. 
My parents also, well, I guess my mother more than my father. I'm not sure my father was as invested in this as my mother was. But then she signed me up for tap dancing lessons with the Tony Grant's Stars of Tomorrow. Yes, sirree, you could go to the Steel Pier in Atlantic City and you could choose to see Ricky Nelson or, or you could choose to see me in a little cowgirl's outfit dancing with a bunch of other kindergarten first graders, some of whom were wetting themselves on stage. Most of us were going in different directions, so you would never have known this was supposed to be a unified dance group. Uh, but all of us had parents in the audience applauding like, like we were the Rockettes in New York City. We weren't. Then my mother, feeling like she was getting somewhere, signing me up for piano lessons, and, and believe me, they actually bought a piano and dumped it in our living room so that I would have a place to practice. That's how important being cultured was to my mother. We had to, I had to go out in the world. I'm not sure, again, that she was that excited about my brother doing it this way, but she was going to turn a woman out who was cultured and sophisticated and could play music and could do all kinds of things like, I guess, tap dancing? And, and then she signed my brother up, and boy, was this the biggest mistake of her life for accordion lessons. That was with Mr. Tamborelli. I went to school with his daughter, Carol Tamborelli. He was a nice man. I used to go over to Carol's house and we would sit there and, and decide that we were going to form our own chapter of the Ricky Nelson fan club. It never got beyond us deciding we were going to form it and, and then just passing out in joy at the thought of Ricky. Uh, but, but Mr. Tamborelli taught accordion. My mother somehow, and I have a feeling she was dragging him by his short hairs, which at that point he didn't even have, to the first accordion lesson. Then she bought him this beautiful, I was so jealous, gold and white accordion. Oh my God, and it glittered. And he never went to another accordion lesson, as he had made clear to her at the first one. But, oh, did I love that accordion. I was so jealous. All I got was a piano out of it. So, so I would go get the accordion and try to teach myself the accordion because if there is anything that made me cooler than tap dancing and piano lessons, it was the accordion. And mind you, at no point in all of this did my mother notice that I had zero musical ability. I cannot find the note of a song, even if you allow me to sing up and down the scale for the entire length of the song. I will never actually hit the right note at the right time. It ain't happening. I have no musical talent. I couldn't play the piano. I mean, I tried, and I would sing at the top of my lungs while I played until my father down in the store would bang on the floor, and I would pick up the phone, and he would tell me to stop doing that. Um, I understand that now. I've heard myself sing. I so understand it. And I wasn't any better with tap dancing because you need a certain rhythm with tap dancing. I don't have it. When I got to be a teenager and wanted to learn how to dance, I don't know how other kids did it. I always look stupid. So stupid. I can't dance. Don't ask me. 
but my mother never gave up on me. So for my eighth grade graduation present, she gave me a six-week course at Marie somebody, whose last name I cannot now remember, let's say Marie Callender, at her school of modeling. Yeah, that's what my mother thought I was going to be when I grow up, or at least she felt that be, sending me to modeling school would teach me how to walk correctly and carry myself correctly and maybe, just maybe, have some sense of fashion. She was once again so terribly disappointed. A, my sense of fashion has never been fashionable, so you're all wrong and I'm right. That's the way I look at it. Fashion to me at this age, now that I have reached 76, I can finally say that fashion to me is what I want it to be, and my idea of getting dressed up to go out is to put on a clean pair of sweatpants with an elastic waist and a sweatshirt, and no bra. I will never wear a bra again. I hate bras. I've always hated bras. There's a reason why women come home at the end of the day, and the first thing they want to do is snap that son of a bitch off. I took it off and I will never put another one on again. Thank you, God, for retirement. So anyway, I went to Marie's School of Modeling while my friend Grace took sewing lessons so that her parents treated her to a sewing machine, which, honest to God, was a lot more useful than these modeling lessons ever were to me. I, I think maybe my mother and I never really understood each other. I think that would be the nicest way to put it. And I know if anyone in my family is listening to this now, they're nodding their heads madly and going, oh God, yes. Oh God, yes. My mother was beautiful, sophisticated, lovely person to be around, loved getting dressed up and, and going out and looking nice. And she was always proud of the fact that when she got married, she weighed 99 pounds. I weighed 99 pounds when I was in eighth grade, 99 plus. I was just never like her, and I don't think she ever understood who I was. Maybe at the very end, but certainly not in the middle. And God, not in the early years once I hit puberty. Before that, it was great. After that, very iffy. So once I graduated from St. Michael's, the elementary school where you went to from pre-kindergarten through eighth grade, wearing the same uniform, your mother could make it fit. Then we ended up going to Holy Spirit High School. It was the only Catholic high school in town. There was Holy Spirit High School or Atlantic City High. Those seemed to be the two choices you had. Atlantic City High was huge. Holy Spirit, we had 500 people in the entire high school class. We also were part of a grade school, so we chaired our auditorium with the grade school, which they also used as their auditorium gymnasium. The only thing we had separate was a lunchroom. And sometime, I believe it was in 1967, there was one hell of a storm in the spring, more than anything that had been seen before. It ripped apart one of the piers that, that jutted out of Atlantic City's beachfront, um, it was just really bad, and it filled our cafeteria with sand all the way up to the top because our cafeteria was downstairs, and oh, did the water and the sand pour in. So we helped dig our own cafeteria out because, again, Catholic school, no extra money. 
Uh, and then we went back to having lunch there because it was the cafeteria. And that was pretty much the early years. Those, those were the years when I lived in Atlantic City and, and I didn't know how I would ever get out of it. I didn't know how I would ever extend my horizons. I just knew that I wanted to, that I wanted something so much more than Atlantic City. Of course, I, I had Philadelphia, and, you know, you can only go see the Liberty Bell and Betsy Ross's house and Constitution Hall so many times before you start thinking, huh, and what else is there? And again, Philadelphia, land of American history. I can't believe I ever got bored with it, but I did. I ended up going to college there. We'll check check in about that at a later a later one of these podcasts. Wow, you got me stopped for a minute thinking of those college years. They weren't good years, to put it mildly. They weren't good years. And I'm going to have to stop right now on this podcast because otherwise I will start crying. And I didn't realize that even mentioning the college would cause me to, you know, get tearful. But oh my God. Okay, I'll take a deep breath. I went to Chestnut Hill College for Catholic Virgins. It had a hell of an entrance exam. Had they ever done that entrance exam on me, I would not have passed. But my mother was an alumnus, alumna, alumni, alumna of the school. And so I got in and got a scholarship, which kind of limited where I could go to college because no matter how much I said I didn't want to go to Chestnut Hill, it didn't matter. Mom had applied for me. Mom had gotten, apparently, a scholarship for me. Um, I was, at that point, working at Bell Telephone Company as a long-distance operator every summer and all holidays in order to make the extra money to, to, to meet the difference between what the scholarship had and, and what I would need in a daily, weekly basis at college. To what we did, and I know this sounds weird nowadays, but here's the way it went in our house. If you made money, if you had a job while you were living at home and still going to school, you brought your check home and you handed it to your mother. I don't ever remember cashing a check until I was living on my own in Brooklyn. Mother got every paycheck I ever earned. She put those checks away. And throughout the college school year, when I, every week, she would send me $5 out of that pile for my weekly spending allowance. Now, I know that doesn't sound like much now, and honestly, it wasn't all that much then, but it's what I had, and I'll tell you, I learned how to stretch it beyond belief. I learned how to save a week after a week after a week so that I would have enough money to go out with the girls to this deli that was down the road from Chestnut Hill. I, I learned to live on $5 a week and be happy with it. Possibly because I was so miserable at college. I was not a good candidate for a Catholic woman's college in 1964. The world outside was exploding. The 60s were happening. The war was being protested. The civil rights movement was 
just forging ahead. And I was in a college that still practiced a springtime festivity, I guess you would call it, in which we went to the field across the street, picked daisies, created a daisy chain, and danced around the maypole. Yep, the world outside was exploding at Chestnut Hill College. We were dancing around a maypole with a with a thing of daisies, a daisy string. I, it was so weird. It was so not me. It was so not anything I ever wanted or would do. And honestly, after my freshman year, those that little festivity did get canceled. Let me add, it did get canceled. They finally caught that far up with the 60s. But other than that, I had a curfew of 7, 7 or 7.30 on weekdays, a curfew of 11 o'clock if I was a junior or senior, 9 o'clock if I was a freshman or sophomore on weekends. And you only got to go home, if you will, or any place else overnight, one weekend a month. I was not good with those kinds of rules. I really found them difficult to follow, so I didn't always follow them. Um, I might have snuck out and gone to protests while writing in the book. You had to sign out in the book where you were going. I'd write that I was going shopping and it would be at Wanamaker's or something in Center City, Philly, and it would be like five in the morning that I was trying, that I was sneaking out and writing this. Um, and I'd go to protests, and, you know, once I did end up in jail, and, well, I ended up in the hospital in D.C., and then from there I got back to Philly thanks to, to the Quakers that I had gone to the protest with, and then, God bless my Uncle Joe, he came and picked me up in Center City, Philadelphia in the middle of the night, brought me to my aunt's house, who then called the college and lied to them for me because she was absolutely the best thing ever. And she told them I was sick and she'd forgotten to call and I was at her house and everything was fine. And they bought it. My Aunt Tony, who you will hear about a lot more in future podcasts, was just the most wonderful person I have ever, ever known who, who I could sit and talk to and who listened to me and who made me feel heard in a way I did not ever feel heard in that family otherwise. And she kept this secret of, of me being down in DC for this demonstration and getting into some trouble and Getting back to Philly after the Quakers got us all out of wherever we were and piled us back on a bus, and and she never, she never blew that secret. Well, many, many, many years later, like maybe thirty or forty years later, as Alzheimer's was starting to affect her brain, we were sitting around the table. I was back east visiting. And we were sitting around the table at her house, my Uncle Joe, my Aunt Tony, her son Joe, other members of the family, including my mother and father. And my father, I'm sorry, was gone by then. It was just my mother. 
and my Aunt Tony said something about the day your Uncle Joe went and picked you up in Center City or the middle of the night. Somehow it came up, and the entire table, all of whom know, knew about this except my mother, went just completely silent, completely silent, and everyone just sat there. And my mother looked up and said, Tony, what are you talking about? That never happened. And my Aunt Tony looked at my mother and said, well, yes, it did. You remember when Elise was a senior in college and she went off to D.C. and then Joe had to pick her up in the middle of the night and my mother now is looking at me and I'm looking down at my food, as are all my cousins who were sitting around the table. And finally, my one cousin looked up and said, well, Mom, at least you kept it secret for over 30 years. That's something. I adored that woman. When she died, it broke my heart more than just about the death of anyone else in my family because she held all my secrets. And the ones that, that really needed to be kept secret, she knew how to keep them secret. That's what made her really special. Okay, that's it. I'm getting emotional between getting emotional over the thought of Chestnut Hill College again, and I really have to work on that before I can really talk about it, because, oh, sweet Jesus, what... <sighs> Between that and my Aunt Tony, I think I need to go upstairs and smoke a joint and, and feel a little bit better about life. So I'm going to go get stoned. I highly recommend it to anyone who's listening in the audience in a state where marijuana is legal. Discover its joys, because, dear God... I certainly have, and and I think it's me and, and Willie Nelson are here to tell you that old age doesn't stop you from using marijuana. In fact, in old age, sometimes it's better to be stoned. So much better. Okay, I promise you the other thing I plan to do is figure out how to edit on this program this that I use to record, but I, I'm really not in the mood right now. Honest to God, I just want to go get stoned. So hey, everyone who's listening, thank you for listening. I will be back. We will continue the story of my life. We'll get into the college years and other things I did that I maybe should or shouldn't have done, and why I ended up in nursing school in New York City, because honestly, if you don't know how the words Tom Dooley affected my life, then I really haven't yet opened up to any of the bigger secrets that are there. So thank you. I'm going to figure out once again, every time I do this, it's like something new. How do you hit the stop button? I think I just hit the stop button. Nope. Nope. It's still recording. Hold on. Hold on.